Welcome to Fret Buzz the Podcast. My name is Joe McMurray. And I'm Aaron Sepchik. And today, our good friend Sean Rogers is here. Um, Sean is an incredible drummer. Um, he was the drummer in Aaron and I's project, our project, the Kairos Quintet. Um, and Sean is also a music teacher in the Virginia public school system. So welcome, Sean. Well, welcome. Hey, that sounded exactly like last time. You guys do your right of town. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. We were like almost 50 in, so. <laughs> yeah. You want to explain that to everybody? This is our second take here. We got to uh, start recording the first time. My fault. Yeah. It is what it is. It's a practice time. You know. But we are honored to have Sean here with us. Um, so yeah, we uh, we all worked at Bach to Rock in Chantilly, South Riding, Virginia, Northern Virginia. And um, Aaron had this great idea to put together a band of music instructors that would meet on Tuesday nights. And we came in and produced some really incredible, inspiring, original material. And uh, Sean was literally instrumental in all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where we, uh, where we where we left off, I guess, right before we realized we weren't recording. We we're talking just about we came in, we worked, we didn't really mess around. Like there wasn't any just like noodling. We came in with a direction, or at least we would write stuff down. Like, hey, we're working on this, then this, then this. We would storyboard out like our practices yeah it was everything all, was very deliberate yeah it was very i was bullet pointed uh you know everything we had a mission we knew why we were there and um the collaboration was on purpose uh, yeah that was, that was that was the whole point of it coming together and uh making the most out of the time that we were there and really getting to the point of you know any one of our collaborations you know whether whether it was something that sean brought to the table something that joe that brought the table, something that i brought to the table mm-hmm. and that was it you know you you would uh, sit there with a, i know for me i would write it out i would write out a chart a chord chart and i would bring it to you guys whether that was very uh <clears throat> open-ended or maybe there was a section where i had a rhythm that i wanted everybody to follow um but the, as we were saying before, it was, it was really nice to be able to collaborate with teachers who, obviously, because we were all teachers, we all knew how to lead. Um, mm-hmm. um, you have to be able to lead within a classroom. And then more importantly, you have to be able to listen. Um, and I think that that quality of listening to each other and not playing over top of each other, which, you know, I teach bands every day and that drives me nuts. Is like when someone's trying to explain something and everybody, someone else is like wailing away on their guitar and I'm like, stop doing that. And then they turn down their volume and they're still doing, they're still playing and I'll go over and I'll put their, my hands on their, their guitar. And I'm like, <laughs> stop playing you're not listening yeah. like inevitably five minutes later we're gonna go in and go, okay here we go one two three four and then one person's like wait what are we doing and i'm like oh stop that yeah. <laughs> our practice has always dissolved naturally too like there were three four ish hours but it was never like all right it's one time to go home there would usually be like that was never we never looked at the clock and then decided it was time to go home we're usually like oh man i'm tired all right what time is it now Right, Ooh, right. All right, let's get out of here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were very focused and engaged. And what was very cool about the group was where, you know, one of us might bring in a song that we had, you know, fully written out or partially written out, written out, but we were all very open 
to other people's input and ideas. And, you know, we were always open, like, okay, you've got an idea to change this section or the transition or add a different section or add a harmony or something. Mm -hmm. And we would try it and it didn't always work, but you know, everyone was good at what they did. And we, we produced some really, really good music, original music. And when it worked, man, it worked. Yeah. Oh man. Boy, did it, boy, did it work. I mean, there were so many moments. We'll spell out again too. Cause that got lost. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If If anybody want to look up the Kairos quintet, K A I R O S quintet. Yep. Kairos Quintet. The five of us got together at one. And guys, uh, the Greek word. Go ahead. Explain Kairos to them. Yeah. Kairos. Oh, yeah. Greek or Egyptian. It was something. It was. Was that me that found that or somebody? We were just looking for names. And it was a word that meant like everything that when it all comes together at once, basically. Like, and for us, whatever it was, the five musicians coming together in that moment being like, we should try something. And like the first practice, I think, would be what Kairos was like, Oh, there's really something here. Yeah. It's like serendipity. Basically. Yeah. Here, yeah. I just looked it up on, on Google. Kairos is an ancient Greek word, meaning the right critical or opportune moment. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, no. awesome. I, I, I loved every minute of Kairos. It was, I'm glad that I went through with it. Um, I had this idea of, you know, bringing, high caliber musicians together. Uh, I was just waiting for the right opportunity. Uh, and I saw it and seized it, approached all of you guys and said, do you want to get together on a Tuesday night? <laughs> and it happened, man. Uh, I, what we played for uh, roughly two years, had a couple live gigs and uh, on the back end of it, man, like just some of the material that we created uh, it just gives me chills to this day. It's just uh, now for all our listeners, it's not like it was mind blowing or anything like that. I think it was the experience of being around musicians who take your craft as seriously as you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there have been many bands that I've been in in the past where there's always one or two members that don't look at it in this, the, the way that I did, um, the way that I practiced, the way that I dug into the material uh, and then showed up for next practice and was prepared. Um, There was always that. I mean, even in past bands, it's been a point of contention where, you know, you get into fights about who's not practicing or who's not pulling their weight or whatever like that. Um, And that was the one thing about Kairos that really, that I never even, had a second thought about i knew that going to practice that it was going to be exciting because everybody had something to bring to the table that was new you know new ideas new things that were happening uh we hadn't we had an agenda and if we got done with that agenda then sweet at the end of that at the end of the session somebody might have some new material that we get to work on and that was exciting because now next week i have new stuff that i can play with yeah that was like with um, retrospect, you know, we had, we had oh, man, this kind of, Oh my gosh, you know, like I was so excited that we, you know, had this chord, this, 
this chord progression and and we were talking about the similarities between dawn and stuff like that i was like okay i get to play with this as much as possible and now i'm going to go home and i remember coming back that next week and and playing that riff over top of what you guys had and all of a sudden was like (laughs) parts for that song changed like entirely because every week I mean, we have what hundreds of hours of recordings now at this point, yeah. and I know you've talked about it on the podcast, but like you can't overstate how how beneficial recording is no. to everything. No, unless we had those recordings, and I would listen and be like, "Oh, that doesn't sound like whatever I'm playing. I don't like how that sounds. I should do something completely different next week. Figure it out. Yeah, or uh, this needs to be tweaked. Yeah, or the opposite. You'd hear like." some riff that the piano player played and you'd be like, Oh, I didn't hear that live. Mm-hmm. Should have, but I was focused on something else for whatever reason. And like, right. you bring that up and be like, dude, you need to do that again. That was cool. Yes. Yes. That would happen all the time, whether it was something yeah. on the drums or something on, you know, a guitar or whatever it was, you know, you'd, you're so focused on maybe, maybe it's me and I'm playing my guitar part or at the moment I was listening to Joe and what he was doing with harmony off of what I was doing. And then listening back to the recording, I heard Sean do something on the drums and I'm like, Oh, Oh, wait, <laughs> isolate that yeah. and send that to Sean. Cause that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's you did that a couple of times. You're like, do you remember when you did this? I'm like, no. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, it's here in the song. Oh, okay, cool. I can do that again. Yeah, I mean, I would literally, I would go home and all week I would just listen to our session over and over again and pull out all the parts that were cool, that worked. Um, I'd do minus tracks, I'd boost people's tracks, I'd take people's tracks away just so we could kind of focus. And my thing was, um, and I I know there were differing opinions on this, um, but my thing was, is it it was all about the music. I really, really wanted the music to be the focus um, and not the vocals. So I never recorded vocals. It was always about individual instruments. Um, not that I have anything against, well, you'll, fi- you'll find they out. Were, well, the vocals <laughs> were also like the most kind of set and stuff. Like it, when I came in with a song, that vocal line is going to be the last thing that would change. Like right. if here's the chords and I'm like, here's the melody, like uh, and part of what we did, then if you wrote the song and you could sing it, you sang lead. There was no lead singer. It was just, if you wrote the song and you know how to do it, we're not going to spend time with that. Mm-hmm. You know how to sing it. Yep. we'll make everything around it better yeah it was also our weakness like we didn't have a dedicated professional lead singer no, we were that, all that would have been nice instrumentalists yeah or just vocal yeah i mean a professional lead singer or if we had spent like if me and you harmonized me and joe harmonized on a bunch of songs mm-hmm. that's like if me and him ever sat down for like an hour and like really hammered stuff out but we didn't really do that it just kind of came through like if you were singing we all had mics if there was a harmony you thought worked you would just throw it in there see if it yeah. worked and then keep it yeah we did good at that sure yeah we did some vocal we did some vocal practices i do remember that i remember going through some nights and we would just dedicate half hour an hour to just vocals and work on harmonies and things like that harmonies to my favorite oh yeah love it i do i'm i'm such a fan of instrumental music i i feel like in you know modern culture it's very you know you very rarely listen to the radio and there's an instrumental song like mm. it's all about the vocals even though every other instrument 
instrumentalist has put in as much or more time as the vocalist. The vocalist is 98% of the time, you know, given the spotlight in radio mm-hmm. music. Yeah. And it, it can be a little frustrating as someone who puts so much time into his instrument. So it was nice that the Kairos Quintet did, did put that emphasis on the music while also making room for vocals where they're needed and to, yeah. you know, to tell the stories that were needed, that we needed to tell. Yeah. Retrospect is perfect at that. I mean, vocals is two and a half minutes and then there's three minutes of instrumental afterwards, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like a five minute song. It just moves. Yeah. I mean, what about Aaron's, uh, what was it called? The, the Tease? funky one. Wasn't oh, uh, party! Uh, no, not party. Not party. Party. Was um, all, all that I wanted. Yes, that one, Aaron. Like you have that one, the one line at the end for like twenty seconds, three, four minutes into the song. Yeah, and it's perfect. It's like its own instrument. It's not meant to be a vocal song, but the vocals play a very nice part there. I yeah. consider that song an instrumental because that's all you say is all that I wanted is standing right in front of me. All that I needed is standing right in front of me. But it's every time that comes in, I smile and it's like, oh, it's perfect. It's exactly yeah. what needs to be right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I loved it. I, I, two years of just pure awesomeness. It's, uh, I really enjoyed the time that we had together. And, you know, maybe we'll get that back someday. That was spent some time today digging up some old recordings. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, by all means, if anybody out there is interested, uh, search up Kairos Quintet. Uh, we do have some material out there. Uh, we've done a, a couple of live shows, um, uh, but we have a whole bunch of material that we never published. <laughs> uh, maybe someday. Um, Kairos Quintet search Dawn. There's our good example yeah. of the instruments over the voice. Yeah. That's like a symphony for electric mm-hmm. instruments. Yeah. I uh I submitted Dawn to uh have um Rick Beato listen to and um everybody was really impressed by the by the uh by the track. It was it was very cool. It was very that's cool. also no small feat your mixing and mastering of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, we got mixes from somebody else too. And I still, I think I'd lean towards, I mean, in this case, normally I like somebody to mix or master who hasn't heard the material before. Yeah. So you get that outside ear, but at the same time, this was so like vision specific that it's like, you had to be the one to, to do all the work on it. You knew exactly what it was. Yeah. I think having, being so close to the project for me and uh, like I said, weekly, just diving into all the different parts and knowing where each person needed to shine. Uh, an outsider's perspective may not have that insight. So that's where I came in as the mixer and mastering. Um, I knew where everything needed to kind of be pushed and pulled back. Um, so yeah, the, I, I feel the same way. Obviously I'm a little biased. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like the uh, first master a little bit better than I did the second one. I thought yeah. it was fascinating to hear, to hear the other mixed and yeah. to hear he, he had, ex- like you were saying, he had levels different on different instruments at different sections. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, I never even knew that part was <laughs> there. Yeah. It was, 
so low in your mix and then the yeah. main melody what i thought was the main melody was really low in comparison to something else it was interesting to hear that yeah um yeah. but you had you know you had the greater vision of what the yeah song should and, sound like and the other thing was the piano um uh, the piano player where I kind of mixed because the piano player had like a regular keyboard. Uh, I think there was an organ in there. I think there might've been two organs in there. Uh, and instead of pushing all of them up and letting, letting them play with each other, I was doing a lot of pushing and pulling and mm -hmm. letting each part come out. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of that that goes on in the original mix as well. And taking, I feel like, from multiple recordings. Because while he had the same ideas every time, it was never the same like notes specifically. So it was just right. like, oh, this run was awesome. Let's keep that from here, put that in. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. his jazz side. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Kairos Quintet, check it out. It's cool. Yeah. But by all means, Sean Rogers, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is our reunion on air here, so yeah, we're, yeah. All, you guys, we're all getting a dose of how happy we are to see each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but so Sean does other things outside of the Kairos Quintet. Like, <laughs> he drums and he teaches. So uh, let's jump into some of that. Some yeah. Stuff yeah, that might yeah. be useful you, to our listeners. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, let's jump into first, let's, if we could, let's jump into a little bit about drums. We haven't really touched too much uh, on drums here at Fret Buzz. Um, so this might be a little bit of a introduction for some of our listeners to drums and what it all entails. Um, if you could, Sean, uh, I know you're involved with a couple of projects right now. You are currently playing out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. uh, how many projects are you involved with? Um, and what are you doing drum wise? And then after that, I'd love to just kind of get into actual physical drums yeah uh, but if you could lead us off with a little bit of your experience and uh what you're doing now currently yeah um actually so the first band that i joined when i moved back to the dc area from a brief stint in south carolina that was a punk band and now they yesterday when i had a gig i'm not in that band anymore they actually opened for less than jake yesterday in annapolis which is pretty cool wow yeah. that's cool well, that's a it's a big name yeah at least probably the biggest name of any of us would have known to open for mm. um but so that was a punk band now i'm in i guess i'll say three and like occasionally i have other friends who if they need a drummer for a show they'll call me up right. but like in the dc area i don't although joe you you did more original stuff i'm very much like i gig out in bars 10 to 1 whatever it's always covers we can throw one or two originals in there, but for the most part, people want to hear songs they can sing and dance to. Yeah. Um, one is a like nineties to early two thousands cover band, like blink One Eighty Two, green day, food fighters. That group's super fun. Cause I get to beat the hell out of the drums. When I play, like I get to really play. Yeah. Um, it's just a trio. All three of us sing. So that's something where, while the vocals might not be the most important thing I'm looking at, it is not like drum, guitar, bass, and three voices. It's like six instruments. Right. Like you want, if we have all three of us are going to sing, all three of us should sing and like make that sound bigger. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, another band is a, it's sort of the opposite. It is a, it's a concept band. It's tiny instruments. The lead guitarist uses an electric ukulele. Oh, the cool. bass player uses a U bass, ukulele size bass. Uh, I have a small drum. They are. 
and they work to their easy too. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. it's not nearly as painful. Like if I pick that up and play a song because I don't have any calluses on my fingers for that, yeah. it's not nearly as bad. I just have visions of the Jimmy Fallon toy band. <laughs> it's not far off. And then, I mean, I use the same kit that I used in Kairos that I've been using everywhere at the breakbeats. We can get into I love that kit. We can get into that later. Yeah, but it's yeah. very, very small on purpose right. to fit very small stages. And then I play in a group that I've been playing with since forever. Uh, it's a husband-wife acoustic guitar duo. And then when they need drums, I'm their on-call drummer. They moved to Charlottesville last year so like two years ago i joined those other bands because i knew that gigs weren't going to be coming in as much so i was trying to fill that space but then they keep coming up and playing shows and like in the last i'm I'm somewhere in the middle of a 10-week stretch where i have like 15 gigs on the weekends it's a lot yeah that's good that's good money coming in it is it's a a good way to supplement income yeah so what i mean man (laughs) <laughs> we're drinking coffee oh no i don't, I don't drink coffee i just this is just water yeah but that's, i mean that's the other thing though because with the teaching like i work in elementary school that's like a full day job and then so i had a gig yesterday or two days ago we're recording this on a sunday i think so friday i had a school wake up at whatever time for school do all that and then i have a gig at night i get home at like three i've been awake for 20 three some hours or something like that yeah 20 that's the musician's life the gigging musician's yeah life. That's... it's probably i would imagine teaching we'll get more into teaching specifics mm-hmm. but especially working with elementary school kids you would need an outlet to play some more complex music after yeah. eight hours a day you know teaching the basics yeah, because I don't teach instruments anymore either. Like, I went to school for an instrumental degree, but I teach general. So the instruments are those, like, very small xylophones. It's like the Jimmy Fallon thing that Aaron was talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. little classroom instruments. We do a lot of singing. We do a lot of dancing. Um, but I don't, like, there is a band and a strings teacher at the school. That's not me. I can help the kids because I know how to play all those things. That's what I did when I went to school. Yeah. But that's not my job there. Hmm. So my creative outlet, I call them Friday songs. Um, I don't know. I feel yeah. Aaron's Aaron's nodding. He's seen at least one of them. <laughs> oh, I've seen quite a few of them. <laughs> I take a song that's popular on the radio and I rewrite the words to be about Friday and how none of us want to be in school and we want to go home. <laughs> and so I take that. I do that like every week, but I I try really hard to not actually start it whatsoever until Friday morning when I get to school. So it's like an hour. I have to find out what's popular on the radio, learn it quickly, rewrite the words. It keeps me sharp, but it's also I mean, like the kids think it's neat, but I'm like, if you can indulge my vanity for about two minutes here, <laughs> I'm gonna do this. <laughs> do you have them sing? No, they, I intentionally have them not sing because they know the songs, but they don't know, like, I switch up the words. So I say, right. like, if you sing with me, it's going to sound like mashed potatoes because we're not singing the same thing. Right, right, right. Just sit here and enjoy the, enjoy my, my goofiness. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Most of the time, it's I like it when other teachers, like, if they're picking up their kids, the classroom teachers, I'm like, here, you should listen to a song because this is more for the adults a lot of the time. Right. <laughs> so the kids are like, we want to leave. And I'm like, you have no idea what wanting to leave is. <laughs> uh, how how old are the, how old are your students? 
I see the whole school. So kindergarten okay. through sixth grade. Okay. Wow. Five to 11, 12. Wow. It's, wow. I mean, you're, <laughs> I'm really trying to think about it. like the kindergartners when they enter and even still, they're like preschoolers still. They're so yeah. young. Kindergarten, you're learning how to do everything. Yeah. In sixth grade, you're like pretty close to a young adult. Like you're, it's completely different people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kindergarten you like you're trying to explain the treble clef staff and you're like the space notes spell face and they're like i don't know how to spell face I'm right like, oh no <laughs> right right or what's the face problem. i have to work on a uh, basic english here yeah where we can get to music yep yeah right. that's interesting too because i try to do stuff like that treble staff but that's a little bit ahead of i mean they just want to know like if they can say staff by the end of kindergarten and i want to to try to get note reading and stuff in early, but they're classes of 25, 30. It's not like individual lessons. No. And so, so much of me sitting with all of that training is like, I know that the earlier you start anything, the easier it's going to be, the more it's going to stick. So I'm trying, but I'm like, it's not going to, if I have whatever, just some student who's just singularity off, like freaking out in the corner. Now I have to address that. I can't be doing whatever we're doing here. All right. <laughs> yeah just trying to keep it together <laughs> yeah that's, that's a completely different like from Bach to rock and that's you touched on this in earlier podcasts it's after school because when kids take music lessons they can't do it like you're not going to get pulled out of school to go to a guitar lesson right so just in doing that that's that was all music all whatever one-on-one you could start things younger do whatever and then now like and in public school, you're like a sort of a psychiatrist, sort of a whatever, this, that, the other thing. Like, there's so many parts of my job that I didn't realize were part of my job that are arguably more important than just the teaching music in the classroom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so is this is this what you want to do, or do you aspire to get into a, a program teaching at a middle school or high school? Like what's your what's your short term like? Where would you like to be in five years, and where would you like to be in fifteen years, twenty years? Well, this is you seem a little exasperated. No, it's anybody who I don't know how anybody does like any job for whatever forty years, and then you retire. That seems insane that you wouldn't want to like switch something up. Um. Like where you guys were talking about the crossroads, like Joe took the leap and went in full time playing. Like I would love to do that. Who wouldn't? But I also went to school for music. This is a good job. It's got great benefits. It's good for me and my wife. It's what I want to do at least to a degree. Like I went to school for music and performance mm -hmm. and immediately dropped the performance degree. Mm -hmm. Um, and I found through my first year there. It's frustrating and stuff, but I I think this is more of what I probably should have been doing. It fits my personality. I got to be goofy with the kids. It took a year and a half, two years to really chip away at how sarcastic I would be because five and six year olds don't understand sarcasm. <laughs> and the like even the sixth graders didn't understand the sarcasm that I would use when I was teaching like a high school orchestra. Even something as simple as they would finish and I'd be like, Great guys, really really outstanding <laughs> and then like the sixth graders hear that and they go oh really and i'm like, oh. <laughs> like no look at my eyes do they look like happy eyes while i'm saying this right 
yeah so but, you, i mean it's would you be yeah. able to te- like be run a band program or something Oof. yeah i mean i would have to do a lot more practicing building stuff back up again i try just to every so often look through like finger charts of stuff so i still remember how to play clarinet just in case um, you had that euphonium student student at uh Bach to rock i did i had euphonium i had a violin yeah, I had a euphonium. I had a violin. I had a flute. I had a viola, I think, and then like drum, bass, guitar, piano. That was, I mean, I think part of why I got that job. I don't necessarily know if uh, that might have been serendipitous too. That they had like five students coming in and they interviewed me, and I just so happened to be able to teach all of those instruments. So like, perfect, bring him and set them all up. Yeah, it's yeah. fun teaching multiple different instruments. Like gives mm-hmm. you break and you get to it keeps you sharp. Yeah, you get to yeah. like kind of learn how to play that instrument. You get to practice that instrument. Yeah. Or and like maybe you're not going to be able to take them to an advanced level, but mm-hmm. you get to keep your basics sharp, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can teach everything to like a middle school level, and then that's where you kind of you have to know th- you have to be able to explain expression but also technical stuff and then like high school to a point you it's assumed that they either practice or they have the technical aspect down so like i'm not the best violin player but i know what you need to do to make it sound better but i i wouldn't be able to do that myself right whatever it is like just the bow needs to be longer like because you you can understand technique without actually playing it like yes i know what travis style finger picking is but my technique for it is not accurate i don't think yeah yeah no i i I fully agree with that it's like same thing with like for me sweeping you know Mm -hmm. i I can show you how to sweep i can take you through exercises how to sweep uh but me in terms of me being able to sweep but no like i don't have a need for that so i don't practice Mm -hmm. that every day but yeah no absolutely it's like how yeah right 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 it's like in sports i mean you have all these like tennis you've got the some you know, 50 to 60 year old guy coaching some 20 year old who's the best in the world, but they still have a coach that's not nearly as good as them. But that coach understands what they need to do to play better. Yeah. Outside opinion. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's that depth of knowledge. Yeah. So you still haven't really gotten around to it. Like, what is your, <laughs> what are you thinking here? <laughs> He's going to corner you, Sean. Uh, no, I'm so- at you because I know you and I, yeah, well, I went to school originally to teach the instruments and stuff, but I've found that this fits better for me. Like, I, I mean, every day I hate it, but that's part of, I think, everybody does with any of their job, really, unless you're, I mean, Joe, there's got to be gigs where you're like, I don't want to go play this. And then but you're like, all right, well, got to go. Yeah, Some, sometimes, but <laughs> not that often. Sometimes Whoa. it's effort. Maybe you're just not in the mood, but when you're there, it's rarely is playing on. Yeah, that's true. Not fun. That's true. It's maybe always you don't fun. want to make the get drive there, that gig yeah. or whatever it is. You're tired, whatever it is. Yeah. 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 I, no, but I, I like I think, it. Yeah. I think it depends on what you're doing and who you're working with. Um, I know for me, <laughs> uh, I'll fully admit this. There are times when, you know, there's that split second where I arrive at work and I sit in my car and I go, <sighs> everyone, everyone. <laughs> just because you know, like 
if you had for me, cause I'm teaching students, if I had fully engaged students, I wouldn't ever have that feeling. You know, if I had, yeah, I know if I had, you know, people that I was going into who are excited about what they're doing, uh, it'd be a different story, but because you're going into people who, you know, you're sitting there going, I'm going to walk into that classroom and they're, they're not going to have anything done. And we're going to do the same exact lesson plan as we did last week. Yeah. That, that, it it wears on you yeah oh it does it 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 wears on you and that's that moment of sitting in the car going oh man like i love my job i wouldn't rather do anything else because you know here i am getting to play guitar and rock and roll and awesome that's great but at the same time like oh man (laughs) yeah i had an interesting conversation with a like a classroom teachers so music rpe were specialists whatever classroom teachers are the ones who i mean in the classroom with the desks um but it was an interesting conversation because she was posted something like on facebook about like i do this because i love teaching and they're like do you love this job and i was like i like it and they're like well what do you and i was like but i i get to play out like there's if you see me like when i'm playing a gig or something like that. Like when I'm playing, when I'm really getting to play, like the nineties band playing something hard, fast, whatever singing you see then like, Oh, there's love, there's passion there. And it's like, I do love the teaching job, but when you compare, I mean, it's not the same. So it's like, no, I can't, I don't, I have such a high standard for what, like if I got, if I could do that forever, I would like, if I could play a gig every night and supplement income and and live off of that, I, I would, but yeah. It's yeah. not that easy, and this job is still in the field I wanted to do. It's still what I like in every traditional sense of go out, get a job, whatever. It's what I wanted to do. So I'm not like I really can't complain. And elementary school is good because when I'm done at the end of the day, I'm done. Yeah. I don't have like marching band after school or like on Fridays. If I did a high school band, you have football games or basketball games, whatever. Right. And I can't do that because I got gigs. Right. Or countless hours, even if you were doing like a uh, high school, uh, you know, countless hours of grading papers and yeah, <laughs> all I mean, that. Still, I'm always there before and after my contract hours, whatever. I think we're only contracted seven and a half hours a day because mm. that's like how long the school day is. And plus like plus or minus 10 minutes. But I mean, if you're not there like nine hours, at least you're not getting anything done. There's so right. much to do all the time. Right, 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 right. And do you, do you have to use all the Virginia, like the standards of learning and write out like today, I'm my lesson plan is going to use SOL standards of learning 10.2 E. And I'm going to do this in order to teach the kids this thing in the curriculum. Yes. And no, uh, um, in elementary school, it's advised that you should have anyway an agenda or like whatever, like put up what it's going to be. I don't necessarily have to write like the oh, standard of learning this. Right. Um, but I can just say like for first grade, it can be like play barred instruments, DNA, and they're just playing DNA on a beat, whatever it is. I don't have to write down the specific that's like one slash B slash 37 students learn to play. It's there. We have a program of studies and Fairfax County is, is really, is a really, really good County for music, like nationally recognized is they're, they're pretty supportive. Uh, So it's fortunate there. Um, 
but so we have like a standard thing and it's just we go through that we make sure myself and the other music teachers in the school at the start of the quarter with each grade whatever it is what are we trying to learn what are the lessons we know that can teach that so you plan out your semester before you at the beginning of the semester yeah it's yeah, it's there's a lot of I mean everything's a lot of planning, but there's a lot of like reactionary stuff too. So we'll look and go, okay, we we want to hit these topics. Like we won't do instruments with the younger kids for maybe the first nine weeks or the first two nine weeks because we want them to. I mean, kindergarten we want them to sit in their assigned space. That's the nine weeks, just <laughs> doing things that are like learning how to do school. Right, we spend so much time just doing school with the younger kids and you get into the music and it's like, Oh, okay. Now we can like have fun after just months of like, Nope, we're going to practice coming in silently. No, no, no. Go back out. We're going to do this again. That's not silent. And you're just <laughs> like drilling routines. That's you're making me think of that Pink Floyd, uh, the, we don't need no education or <laughs> those videos, <laughs> the meat grinder. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not that bad, obviously. <laughs> yeah, school, is, school is different from. Sean's got a ruler, and I wish. <laughs> no, nah, you can't do that. That's, you just you you find other ways to you, you discipline. And I've gotten um like so there are times my wife would be like, "Hey, don't talk to me in teacher voice," and I don't realize it. Yeah, because I have to like I went from just kind of talking, however, to being like it's. There's a deliberateness to everything you say in elementary school, too. Kids will take things very literally. They won't understand sarcasm. There's a way if you tell the kids, I need you to do this, they won't listen nearly as much as if you straight up go, you need to do this. Then it's what they'll be much more reactionary to it because the onus falls on them. It's not like them doing you a favor. There's a lot of weird little things like that. And I'll say something, whatever it is. And I'm like, I don't know if that was the most successful thing. And she's like, don't use teacher voice. Just say it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. Teaching Uh, is interesting, that's for sure. mm -hmm. I remember in school, I was very, I did not like the standards of learning. That, That aspect of like lesson planning, like having to plan to that the giant book of <laughs> somebody wrote this thing out or a group of people wrote out this incredibly detailed thing. I was like, this is not how music is supposed to right. work. Yeah. Like making everyone learn this detailed curriculum. I mean, I, I get why they have to do it, but it was not, I didn't enjoy having to plan around that. And like they, they would make us like in school, we had to write out, which standard we were going to teach and how it was going to, how what we were going to teach was going to, you know, teach the kids what they needed to learn for the state's curriculum. Yeah. Yeah. We have that. And I mean, like I hate recorder, but we have to teach it. Like it's, it's a county requirement and I, I hate it every year. I teach more of it than I did the previous year because I've gotten better at it. But also like, it's my first year I was really just trying to avoid it as much as possible (laughs) my mentor teacher was like dude you have to like you're gonna have to do recorder recorder is awesome the kids love it they love it for like a year because they get to play an instrument and then the next year they can sign up for strings and then they play like real instruments if you will and they don't necessarily care for recorder then 
I get it. Like, it's a good tool. It helps reinforce learning how to read notes on the staff. So, like, we do all that. The kids can read E to F at least, like, the mm-hmm. staff before we even give them a recorder. However fast or slow they can read it, they can read it. Um, because you have to figure out then, like, you have to, if you don't know the note, like, you're not going to be able to look at that without a label and go, oh, okay, so if I see that note, my fingers have to go this way to make this specific sound. And, uh, like when the kids, Hey, the, what happened to the letters? Like they're not there anymore. Why? Cause they won't be there when you read real music. They're not going to write. I mean, you can sit if you really want to and write out the, each note, like the letter of each note, but then I'll hand them like a piece of music and go, do you want to do that for all of this? And they're like, no, it's like, yeah, so we just learn how to read it instead. I always ask a kid, I'm like, I'll write the letter E. And I'll be like, what letter is that? And they're like, it's an E. I'm like, how did you know it was an E? And they're like, because it looks like an E. I'm like, no, it has a vertical line and three horizontal lines coming off of it. You see that now. So now look at the staff. You see this line on the treble clef second line up? That's a G. You have to just remember, just like you recognize the shape of the letter E, you'll learn to recognize the letter G on the staff. I'm going to steal that E thing. That's really good. Yeah, you can use any letter you want. Yeah, but I, <laughs> it doesn't have to be. How do you know? Because it has this, this looking for the specific things. Yeah, I love looking at their, like a little kid, their face. They're like, what do you mean? How do I know that's an E? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's this look of confusion. Yeah, yeah. The thought process that happens. I found mm-hmm. that how do you know tends to give that anyway when it's like something or like one plus one is two. How do you know that? Well, because like you taught it, like that's it's one plus one. What do you because mean? It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be, it would be really cool if they could take in instead of recorders, if they could have, you know, if they had the funding to put a keyboards in every class. Yeah. I feel like that would be potentially more, useful in the long term to the general student body yeah that's um, everybody i tell the kids too because they hardly ever see me play piano because i can't play piano so if i'm ever doing something you can play piano and go nope this is the extent of my skills if you're taking piano you should stay with it if you're not taking piano you should probably start because the thing i regret the most i had no idea though like when i was growing up drumming and stuff that i was going to end up like being a music teacher Right. And by the time I knew that it was like junior year of high school, senior year, you're doing auditions and stuff, but I still thought that was like band orchestra. I had no idea that like the one instrument that I really didn't learn is the one that would be so beneficial to this job. Didn't you have to play marimba and xylophone yeah. vibes in college? Yeah, I was a classically trained percussionist mostly. So like doing drum set now is a lot of fun, but the thing that I spent the most time on just growing up was marimba xylophones um like concert snare concert percussion but mostly the melodic instruments i was in percussion ensemble and i was one of the better like marimba players four mallet marimba so like my skills were needed there and people who were better at just the straight up battery stuff would be doing the harder like regular percussive parts and then at school that's part of it too you have to go through whether or not I was training for like an orchestra audition, we would practice all of the excerpts, any famous thing that we would do for orchestra auditions. So xylophone, timpani work, 
drum set is the thing that I had the least amount of formal instruction on in college. We did some, but a lot of times, like the kids who played drums in college were the jazz drum majors. Like that's what they did was just kit. So they would mm-hmm. sit their lessons were just drum set. My lessons were like 15 things. So, so here's a, here's a crazy question uh, coming from your perspective. And I, if we want to transition, we can transition. We can stay in, in the education field if we want to, but um coming from your experience of having marimba and almost like a, a tonal approach to percussion. Yeah. How does that play a role when you sit down and play a kit? Like how do you hear a kit tonally and, and the, how, what importance does that play when you're playing? Mm -hmm. Um, that it's I I know that it's been a huge part of like how I play the drums. And the person who taught me drum set when I was growing up too, like before college and stuff, he was also very very musical. Taught me to like listen to music. Sometimes we did lessons. I remember my mom would be like, "What the hell am I paying the money for if you just sat and listened to like kind of blue for an hour?" And I was like, "Well, we were there was more to it than that, right? <laughs> like right, we're right. picking things up." But the classically trainedness, so having having a, like an ear for melody and stuff, and going through college and playing orchestra pieces where I would tacit for minutes at a time, I get to hear the orchestra. And if nothing else, it started with being like I didn't have to count my rest because I would hear, oh, when the French horn does this lick, I have four measures until I have to play. Right. So things like that, and then it translates. Um, I'm just trying to think like in the Kyra song train rolls fast, the riff boom. I go around the toms to boom. Like to compliment it. Um so I things like that. Like when I I don't think I'm I mean, I'm certainly not the best drummer I know. I would and I'm not the most technical, but like the thing that I would bring to a band and i've said that like when i reach out to other bands and you're like here's stuff of what i do if i'm trying out for a band i'm like what i'll bring up I, I might not be the best one that you have in terms of like playing faster chops but i will be the most musical mm. of the people that you like try out with i'll if there's a hit on the e of two i'm gonna like i'll hear it and i'll pick it up and ta- mm, whatever it is a little kick to accent your thing too yeah yeah how about how about like uh individual drums and like when you're playing the kit in terms of like tuning or symbols and the different the different tones that you can get out of a symbol yeah um that's yeah it, i mean it just depends and what's nice in all these groups that I mean, we, we have practice so i get to really mess around with stuff and figure out like if i want to use the bell of a symbol that's going to have that really sharp like ping on the ride as opposed to just like something more smooth and mellow. Um, and like toms, there's ways to tune them where you can tune them to set pitches. I try not to tune them to any specific set pitch. They're going to have a tone. Like I think my upper tom sounds closer to a B, but it's not, that wasn't my intention. That's just where it sat and started to sound good at like at the, the depth I wanted it to sound like. Mm-hmm. Cause if it's, I mean, if you tune too much, like, 
well, I can't, what, what, I'm going to, what, like Trash Carter Beaufort or like Neil Peart who have the kits with 150,000 drums, but they're like to specific pitches. Right. So like, I'm not going to hit this Tom that's an A if we're playing a song in G sharp. Right. Things like that. Yeah. So to avoid that, because I only have two Toms, I try to have it so that it's just basically snare, like low sound, lower sound without any specific pitch. Okay. Because it yeah. will sound weird. That's why you otherwise. have to- that's why the the ride cymbals are have all the like the random hand hammered ding so that purposefully mm-hmm. doesn't have a pitch. Yeah, exactly. So it conflict with the key of a song or something. Yeah, like the um the bell at the start of train is um, cl- rings closer to a C than anything else, and it's mostly fine except one time I tried to use it in a song in D flat and like I hit it and I was like, oh my god, this is this is horrific. <laughs> for those of you that don't know sean's got an incredible ear oh, thank like, you you would always i mean you're close to close to perfect pitch on, i mean you have very good relative pitch right yeah i call it pretty good pitch <laughs> it's better than your average uh musician yeah yeah oh that's i came from high school senior year during study hall i would hang out down in the music rooms like in the music wing and i would just go into a piano practice room turn my back to the piano, push a note. And then, all right, is that G turn around? Ah, crap. It was E. And like, I just did that for 45 minutes a day, basically. And by the end of my senior year, I could like, if you go, Hey, what's B sound like B B is pretty close to there. I should pianos over there. No, that's, that's cool though. I, it seemed like the benefit of that to you in that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. There you go. So uh that was incredible. But, uh, that, yeah. Not only is that a good party trick, but in Kairos rehearsals, Sean was able to pick out and sing harmonies very, very efficiently mm-hmm. and in tune. Like it was it was a great skill to have. So it is worth your time as a musician to develop your ear. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing that I bring like to bands when I say I'm the musical drummer, I guess, to touch on that. This is man, it's weird talking about yourself so much. <laughs> but like uh, yeah, yes, you're on the couch you're on the musical couch, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really though. But we were playing um Harder to Breathe by Maroon Five and the guitar player yesterday, he instead of doing Bana, he was doing Bana like eh, in the major he's like i can't figure out the riff what's going on and i'm like no no, no go down a half and i reached out and took his finger and went eh, that fret <laughs> and they go burn it oh you're right you're right and I'm like, yeah so i do that or i'll remember like how songs go i have a good memory for words and structure and stuff and i think drummers in general kind of get that because you're not playing anything melodious if you're like in rehearsals for stuff, when even whenever we were trying out ideas in Kairos, I would mostly just be snare on two and four at first to hear how stuff is, pick up accents, pick up where things go. So I think it works that way. I mean, you just, you hear, because the drum, like if at its base, you need to keep good time. If you can do two and four and keep good time, like you're set because the music will sound good around you. But if you can actually like listen to everybody else, the drums are there's just accents everywhere. It might not necessarily be melodious, but I like to think of 
songs that I play, you could follow the drums like as if they have a melody too. Yeah. This is what we were talking about with Joe Ham of El Sistema um, last week or a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was a drummer, a jazz drummer I recently played with who came on the show. Um, he plays everything, but uh, I remember in sp- in particular, we were playing St. Thomas, a tune by Sonny Rollins. And mm-hmm. like he took a drum solo and you could absolutely hear he played the rhythm of the melody perfectly and he chose his drums so it's like you really could pretty much hear the melody at least if you had ever heard that melody right like i didn't have to count the, you know during his drum break i could hear it right mm-hmm. and like you hear it in in jazz too if people are trading fours whatever mm-hmm. the guitar sets up a lick and then the drums will be like oh if nothing else rhythmically it might be something that complements yeah yeah it's like triplets going up. Maybe he he'll do triplets going like around the toms, do 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 like to go in the opposite way. But it's call and response type of things. Yeah. I mean, you just gotta love. We all love listening too. That's like listening to music. I think that's if you don't if you don't like to really listen, but you like to play, you're not gonna play as well. Yeah, that's very true. And why re- try to reinvent the wheel? There's so much good music out there to listen to and learn. Like mm-hmm. it's sometimes I think sometimes I wonder if it's like stunting my creativity because I'm not coming up with my own thing. But then I stop and think like, okay, I could spend the next year trying to develop my own like unique thing. Or I could just listen to like what this other amazing player did, learn their way and modify that a little bit. And it'll be way more efficient with my time. Yeah, so that's listening is incredibly important. Yeah, you don't want to like take from your influences or like emulate somebody specifically, but at the same time, like like what you said, I'll do that too. I'll be like, all right, I'm not gonna try to start something new. How's this person playing this? Listen, and then you take it and kind of chip either part of their technique away, or you put more of your stuff into it. Yeah. So you try to take something that, all right, so this is somebody else's like style, but I'm making it into my own little thing. Cause how many, how many new ideas really can there be in music? Like I know technically there's an infinite number of notes and stuff, but there's, there's 13 notes. Like there's a finite number of ideas and stuff where you can go like, Oh no, I swear this is completely original. Well, how come it sounds like Beethoven? Cause everything sounds like Beethoven. Like that's why. Do you, okay, in public school, do you get to listen with your students? Is there a designated listening time? No, I, I try to make it uh, for the older kids. We we have, like, we will designate, there's no, like, music appreciation class. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, in the general music, we have, we're pretty flexible. The curriculum is pretty broad. Our admins supportive of they're just like if they come in they want to see that we're working they don't necessarily know music they're they're, they're trusting that we can do our jobs which is really nice right and that's part of that we'll do we'll listen to stuff and um like with the sixth grade we listen to Aaron Copeland hoedown like what do you think of and they go oh it sounds like cowboys and I'm like yes that's the point stuff like that so you try. And like um, a lot of times my listening activities are subplans. If I'm not there, I'll have like whatever songs. Like I used to do this at the first job I got right out of college. It would just be like maybe there's a Beethoven song 
and then maybe there is a song by like Blink-182 or something more appropriate for school, but like a punk song. And it would be like, you have whatever the, the question, like why did the drums do whatever or write down instruments you hear just any sort of thing that they have to do some element of listening. Yeah. Even if it's in a vague sense of, Oh, I heard a violin. I heard a cello. Yeah. Get them to actively listen rather than mm-hmm. just kind of passively. Get them to listen. Over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if they have to zoom in and try to figure out each instrument, I, I like that exercise too. Mm-hmm. Do you have restrictions? So if you were to play, if you were to take the time and make sure that a Blink-182 two song didn't have anything, mm-hmm. any you know lyrics that were inappropriate, you're allowed to play that for the kids? Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know if you mean from like a legal, like a copyright reason. Technically, anything we do is like, legal to a degree because it's used for educational purposes so that's you get to do that and skirt any sort of like copyright thing so like when i do the friday songs people like you should make a cd of those and i go no no because you would want to buy it and as soon as somebody pays even a dollar for it it becomes the whole copyright thing as opposed to just being a fun educational tool i think it's it's school to school like i said our admin kind of lets us do our thing which is nice so like they trust our judgment and that's, I mean, that's good and bad for me. Like, if that's if I do something, like, I haven't, I'm assuming, because I still have a job or whatever, but I haven't played, like, a bad song. Mm-hmm. And that would be, like, and made a poor choice, because then that comes back to, oh, we heard this in Mr. Rogers' class, and then it's like, oh. Right. <laughs> but most things, and, like, the kids will say, hey, can we do, like, I want to hear this song or whatever, and I go, hold on, and I punch it in, and I look up the lyrics, and if nothing else, I will read the words. And um, I'll just make a judgment call. Then I'll be like, no, we can't listen to that. I'll be like, there's a bad word in it. And then the sixth graders are like, we hear bad words all the time. And I go, yes, but there's a thing called context. Right. Like, I know, and I've heard you say bad words to each other on the playground, but you notice how you don't say them in the building? Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Because adults are around? Uh-huh. It's like, there's also adults around the adults, too. So we don't get to, like, say or do the thing. Like, there's... There's a level of appropriateness that everybody has to like adhere to. Yeah, and and obviously sometimes even if there isn't language within the the uh, the song, it it would be about the context of exactly what they're actually talking about. And you're like, yeah, we're not going to talk about sex, yeah, <laughs> even though they don't actually talk about sex. Zeppelin's <laughs> uh, lemon song. Yeah, the lemon yeah. song. Squeeze my lemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably Let the not. juice run down my leg. <laughs> who who originally wrote that? It wasn't Zeppelin. That was no, cover, that right? Yeah, that was. Uh, gosh. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm glad that to know that you can play modern music. I, I it astounds me how little kid. I mean, maybe it shouldn't. Like they've only been alive for five, six years, but maybe their parents don't listen to good music. But and that's a broad. You know, good music is personal taste. But yeah, I would. It, I would venture to say most parents don't listen to good music. Well, there's something scientific about how when you get older, you're genetically predisposed against the younger generations, like music tastes. So like when I go, Oh, they don't listen to um, parents. There are parents that are about my age, but if they didn't grow up listening to their dad's records, the way I did, we're going to have very different tastes in music. And like, who's your favorite band? I'm like, uh, like Zeppelin or Hendrix or the who something like that. I'm like, who's your favorite band? I'm like, well, Travis Scott's hot right now. I don't, you're just saying words. 
Yeah. <laughs> what kills me is when you ask a student, you know, what do you listen to? And they're like, nothing. And you're like, well, what do your mom and dad listen to? Um, they don't really listen to music. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and that happens more often than not. And that yeah, it's our job to come in and fix that. And mm-hmm. I hope that you and other public school teachers continue to have the, at least the flexibility to play a song that has appropriate content, you know, yeah. try to teach the kids some, you know, if they like listening to music, they're going to be more interested in playing music. Right. It's going to set off the snowball. The They're going to want to be musicians or at least take an interest. If they, if all they ever get to listen to is Aaron Copeland, you might lose a kid in those critical years when they might have decided they wanted to really practice an instrument, but instead they just weren't really inspired by the music they were hearing. Yeah. I've tried to use modern stuff for if, I mean, anything, even if it's the younger kids and we're just practicing, like moving to a steady beat. Uh, one of the songs I'll do is something that, oh, I know that song, because then they, they're engaged, if nothing else. Like, Which song? It just anything if we're just practicing moving to a beat i'll take something like what's on the radio right now and if there's something that's popular or like when uh, can't stop the feeling came out that was everywhere and i yeah. use that constantly because the kids all know the song they all love the song it's fine yeah. for school yeah but it's it's modern it's new it's something they want to listen to there's also still musical elements to that like yeah i did yeah. I had a small sixth grade class and we broke down how like uh the top like six songs on the radio all sound exactly the same <laughs> we talked uh, about I was just gonna say we. I'm not gonna go there. Never mind. I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> but I was just, uh, one thing I was gonna say is, is I do. I, I my four year old daughter. Um, within literally the past three days, um, I caught her singing "Young Blood" um, by Five Seconds of Summer, and mm-hmm. I was just like, "How you're." you're like four years old and you're singing this whole, like you've got the melody down, you've got the whole structure of it actually going on. And I'm like, that's, she's clapping to the beat. And I'm like, that's, that's awesome. That's it's music that does that though. More mm-hmm. than like words don't stick. We're teaching fourth grade right now. And like one of my favorite units, we do follow the drinking gourd. It's a slave song. And we teach them about, hey, it's a whole map from Alabama up to Canada, how you do all these things that will take you to freedom. And then when we're like, why would you sing it? And there's a bunch of reasons. But then they go, well, think of it this way. I mean, when I talk to you, how many words do you really hear? And then they get like a little laugh. And then I'll go to the piano and play like the McDonald's jingle. And they go, that's McDonald's. I'm like, I didn't have to tell you that. You just knew that from the melody. Like that's if I sing something to you and I get whatever it is, whatever directions, if I can sing it to you in a way that gets stuck in your head, you're going to remember it because you can't get it out of your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've mentioned it before. Um, um, I listened to a podcast called 20,000 Hertz and they did an actual episode on jingles, why they stick in our heads and how effective they are for branding. And, and yeah. it's on a scale, man. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And that is where we're going to end it for today. Join us next Thursday as we continue the reunion with Sean Rogers in part two of our episode. While I have you, I want to say thank you for listening. If you have a moment, go over to iTunes and give us a review. Stop over at fretbuzzthepodcast.com 
and check out the song challenge, the one month song challenge. It's uh, pretty cool. Um, this month we're going into April. It's fun trying to come up with new material every month and challenging yourself as a musician. All new material, nothing old, so it's all fresh stuff and pushing yourself to the limits. Um, only you, nobody else, no collabs. And then join us on YouTube at the end of the month for a live session as we give feedback on all of our submissions and talk about what we've done. Uh, it is definitely a good time. So, yeah, thank you for joining us once again, and we'll see you next week on Fret Buzz, the podcast.